This is The Guardian. Fjellreven. 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 Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fjellreven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Fossil, du bist gemacht, um Orte zu erkunden, um auszudrücken, wer du bist. Du wurdest für dies gemacht, egal wohin du als nächstes gehst. Und Fossil wurde gemacht, um direkt bei dir zu sein. Wir stellen die Herbstkollektion vor. Hebe deinen Stil auf ein neues Niveau. Mit unserer zeitlosen, edlen Raquel-Uhr. Gemacht, um den Tag zu ergreifen. Fossil. Gemacht für dieses. Besuche fossil.de, um die vollständige Kollektion heute zu erkunden. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. We have an eight brackets, eight nil to kick us off today. As this pod has suggested in recent weeks, Sheffield United are resilient and hard to beat, while Newcastle will struggle to cope with those Premier League games straight after a tough European tie. Neither of you helping us out there, lads. And then to the Emirates, honours even in an excellent North London derby. You don't need to dust down the crisis klaxon at Chelsea. They just leave it on the side these days as Villa win at the bridge. Everton win comfortably at Brentford is not a sentence we penciled in before the weekend. There's a good and hard fought win for Liverpool over West Ham and Johnny Evans putting one on a plate albeit a difficult plate if that analogy works for Bruno Luton get their first point and Rodri tries but fails to add some jeopardy to Manchester City's latest victory there's reading books at football to your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Barry Glendening welcome hello Max uh, hello Nick Ames hello Max and uh, uh, welcome Kate Mason it's been a while Three years, Max Rushton, and you've all become more luminous by the day. It's important to point out that we didn't bench you for three years. (laughs) Contractually, you went somewhere else for three years, but you have returned, and we're delighted about it. We Um, knew you would come crawling back. Thank you you for welcoming me back with uh, with open arms. And I think, yes, the three years have obviously been very kind to you all. Yes, many things have happened, but we don't have time to discuss them because we'll start at Bramall Lane, Chevy United nil, Newcastle United 8. Neil says, will Chris Wilder to Sheffield United News be on the first recording or added in later? Boomstrong says, is Neil Warnock getting under Sandra's feet at home already and ready and willing to come back to rescue the Blades? Is Neil is Sandra Neil Warnock or Harry Redknapp? Or are they both Sandra, Barry? Sharon, uh, isn't ha- she? Harry, yeah. it's definitely Sandra Redknapp. I don't yeah. know what Mrs. Warnock no, answers to. It is Sharon, yes. I think you're right. So unless, of course, there's something we don't know about in a sort of wife swap between uh, <laughs> Harry and Neil... Um, it is Sharon. And Bemuse Bagel says, were Newcastle's eight goals a direct result of Jason Tindall being allowed pitch side for this game? They equal their highest ever Premier League win. Um, the other time they scored eight was against Sheffield Wednesday on the 19th of September, 1999, a game in which Alan Shearer scored five goals. The first side in Premier League history to have eight different scorers in a single match. Um, and as I said in the intro, Barry, really thought Newcastle would struggle in these games after champ- tough Champions League trips. I would say Newcastle were very lucky in the opposition they had after their first uh, Champions League game in in 20 years. They could not have, I think, handpicked worse opposition because Sheffield United were absolutely 
dismal. I think the abiding memory of or image of this game is Stuart McCall, the Sheffield United assistant manager, with his head in his hands after number eight went in. A goal which kind of typified the Sheffield United performance. Just Tom Davis with a dreadful headed back pass towards uh, poor Wes Fotheringham. Alexander Isaac pounces and, and slots home. But hats off to Newcastle. Scored eight goals. Had eight different goal scorers. Anthony Gordon was their star performer despite not being in the starting lineup. He, he'd been dropped or rested or whatever, uh, but came on. Uh, quite early because of an injury and he was superb but it is hard to summarise this performance without dwelling on how absolutely abysmal Sheffield United were and I think on the radio yesterday we were talking to our reporter at this game and he said we you know there are rumours about Paul Heckingbottom possibly getting replaced by Chris Wilder or someone else and we'll see now what Sheffield United are made of will the players put in a performance to show they're behind Paul Heckingbottom. And I would suggest this performance suggests they very much are not behind him because it, it was embarrassing. It was sports wash versus total washout, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I feel sorry for Heckingbottom, though, because he's a really nice guy. He comes across really well, got them promoted from a difficult league in quite good fashion, got into the FA Cup semi-finals, didn't he? And then they, they sort of had that defeat against City and um, and they have those whispers going on which are clearly coming from somewhere aren't they there's never a lot of smoke without fire in football um, whispers about his potential replacement by, um, by Wilder that's, that's a, diff- a difficult way to come into a game um, and you have to wonder what his future is now like uh, it's a brutal business um, I suppose you know, Sheffield United they don't want to be a yo-yo club forever do they they want to get someone in there who can stabilise them get three or four or five years straight up there and it's not looking good for them and as 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 a veteran of a 9-0 Premier League defeat many many years ago I I know how it feels um I guess the hope is that sometimes sometimes it just happens sometimes you get one of these first season I think when when Southampton had one of their at least one of their 9-0 under Hudson Huttle but they didn't go down did they so I suppose you can chalk this off possibly but he does look a bit like a dead man walking, and I, I do feel a bit sorry for him, all this noise hovering around his head. Mm, Tom, Tombo says, can anyone help Sheffield United or any of the promoted teams now? Jean Le Baptiste, possibly. Um, look, you can, Kate, read a lot into one game, as Nick alluded to. Bournemouth got beaten 9-0 last year as well, didn't they? And they didn't go down. But the promoted sides have got one point each, no wins from 16 games. Like, And we know the gap is big, but I don't know how much, like, what, what do we read into this? Reading irrelevant stuff into one game of football is actually my favourite thing to do in football. And indeed, probably the point of all football podcasts, as far as I understand it. So, yes, I think it's important that we go in hard on the promoted teams. Oddly enough, it doesn't feel like that significant a result, which I think Nick is basically saying. I mean, for me, the characteristic moment was the sixth. I don't know if anyone else has a has a fave. But for me, the sixth, where they literally just... Uh, Jack Robinson kind of, in a lacklustre way, did a sort of cat grab on the back of Miggy Almiron as he just ran straight through in a completely straight line after Tom Davis had been lost again. And I just actually don't understand it because, yes, you guys have been saying this too about the about Sheffield United. To be honest, I thought they were the ones 
Mm, we can talk about Burnley as well, but in terms of Sheffield United, you know, they looked, I watched them last weekend, right? I was at the Tottenham game and they looked so organised and I don't know if they used up all of their defensive might on that game, but I certainly thought that they were, well, very unlucky in the end to, to, to lose, obviously, but they they seemed really quite well drilled. They seemed to be clever you know all the time wasting was irritating from the perspective obviously of a Spurs fan and people who like to watch a lot of minutes of football in a game of football but in terms of the the way that they felt like they had a plan it did seem odd the way that they just completely bloody capitulated um and I yeah I really hope this is not sign of things to come on the point about Paul Heckingbottom I, don't, I thought he actually seemed quite upbeat afterwards I'm not sure I would have uh, planned for the line these results are gonna happen but I think what he meant was that uh, you lose three points it's three points whether it's eight nil or one nil or two one last weekend so I don't know if he's I don't know if he feels like there's a weight off his shoulders or whatever but he seemed to be going at it with a kind of Hassan Hootel devil may care like we can make this up I don't know if you think he can I mean, you alluded to it briefly there, Max. We said in the pre-season podcast that many of the players who were instrumental in getting Sheffield United promoted are no longer at the club. So the squad they have is demonstrably worse than the one that got promoted. And they had nine players out through injury. And you have to factor that in. If you're a newly promoted club, they're basically a championship side playing in the Premier League and they had nine players out. So that is a mitigating factor. Mm. And actually on, on, on um, you know, the disparity between the Premier League and the Championship, we know it's big, but I think all three promoted teams got stayed up last year, didn't they? So like it, sometimes you have teams that come up that aren't as ready as others and this may be the case. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously chat about Burnley and uh, Luton in a bit. I thought Sheffield United Twitter account got it right. By the eighth goal, they didn't even give the score. They just wrote goal Newcastle and their final tweet, which I think is their final tweet. They haven't tweeted anything out, no manager reaction, nothing was just full-time defeat for United. <laughs> we don't need any details and that's fair enough. Matt says, is Sheffield the most depressing city for football in the UK? Neither team has won a game this season in normal time. The only victory is Sheffield Wednesday on penalties versus Stockport uh, in the League Cup as Mark says a Sheffield Wednesday fan can you imagine what it's like to support the second ranked team in Sheffield at the moment barely 100 days since the playoff miracle and last minute Wembley glory and we can't even laugh at that lot losing 8-0 Fraser says would Barry take a book with him to a football match on the off chance his team were on the receiving end of a sound thrashing Um, Paul what book would you like to take Uh, there's a great picture of a, uh, a Sheffield United fan um, uh, reading a book uh, at 7-0 and she is just there she's quite near the end of I, I'm not sure what book it was but it's a great picture of just somebody going just take my dad always took a book to football I must have told this story a million times and he took uh, to the Cambridge United Crystal Palace FA Cup quarterfinal 1990 so quite a big game in our history our first ever FA Cup quarterfinal he bought Plato's Republic with him oh god <laughs> Heavy gold. He happened to be sitting next to Trevor Brooking, so I have the only signed copy of Plato's <laughs> Republic by Trevor Brooking. Um, anyway, it's a great picture. Uh, let's do the North London Derby by popular demand, everybody. Um, uh, this was a really good game. Uh, certainly the first hour was brilliant. Nick, you were there. How was it for you? Yeah, really good game of football. Um, I think ultimately a fair result. I think Arsenal for half an hour came out as they do and you know, big um, big intensity 
a few chances. Um, deserved opening goal, I think. Um, Saka's shot sort of pinging in a slightly comedy way off a Romero's outstretched, uh, I don't know what it was, his, some part of his leg, knee, knee was it? Um, and after that, certainly going by recent derbies at the Emirates, you, you thought they would probably pull clear. And there was that golden chance, wasn't there, when Madison, who I'm, I'm sure between Kate and I we might come to, was was absolutely fantastic for all the game. Um, he, was, he was coming deep very often, almost playing as like a sort of sweeper at times, picking up the ball, edge of his box. One occasion he does that. Gabby Jay just nicks it off him and... Gabriel Jesus has to score. He can probably take one more touch, to be honest. He doesn't, and he swipes at it. Over it goes. Um, a few minutes later, Spurs have, have a very good 10-minute spell. Came close a couple of times. Um, Madison probably beats Saka a bit too easily. Centres for Son um, to equalise really nicely, actually. And by half-time, you, you kind of thought that was about right because Spurs, although they were a little bit snatched and skittish sometimes, they, they were still trying to do their thing. They were still playing the sort of Ange football, trying to play through the thirds to get it out. Destiny Udoji versus uh, Saka on that flank was a, a really good battle. It looked after he got a yellow card and then Saka sort of half, half scored the goal as if that was going to be a very long afternoon for him. But to be fair, he, as I think Ange Postacoglu pointed out at the end, ended up being the dominant player down that side of the pitch, really recovered well, really impressive for a, a guy of that age and inexperienced, by the way. Anyway, I digress slightly. Um, second half, we, do we need to talk about handballs and penalties? I, I, no, I mean, I, I've done it a million I, times. I thought it was a penalty, but I'm falling asleep saying it. Um, but Kate might want to interject. Do you want to inter- <laughs> interject? Well, I don't. I don't necessarily need to interject. But I, in the context of the, if we're going to look at the laws of the game, then I don't really understand why that is a a, a penalty. However, you know, he's it's a the reasonable movement that he's doing. His body is slightly bigger, but he is also like trying to move and it seems logical to me. However, if you're thinking about it in the terms of like playing football, you'd think, oh right, that hand stopped stopped the ball going in, so perhaps I would want to give a penalty. But equally, you know, it's run our game is run by robots. So who would be thinking that at this point? I mean instinctively, (laughs) I don't mind that penalty. I mean I was annoyed about it from a Spurs perspective, but that that doesn't the ball is kind of going in. I kind of understand it. Yes, Barry. Nobody seems to have noticed, and maybe I my eyes were deceiving me, but when the ball bounced up for Benjamin White, did he not handle it first? I think it was, so I wondered that at the time, but I think it was not his, it was his little flank, wasn't it? I don't think well, it kind of hit the but... gap between his hand and his side, but I, I don't know, I don't care. Anyway, you're right, Nick. I didn't want anyone to interject. I want you to carry on with this enjoyable story of the game and then we'll get on to the What, what I should have said there was Arsenal got a penalty, Saka scored it, and then we wouldn't have had to have the last two minutes, nice as it was. Um, and I always enjoy watching Saka score penalties as well, as an England fan. So, and he you know, scored it really, really nicely, didn't he? Lovely, lovely, yeah, lovely, lovely cool conversion down the middle. Um, mm. And after that, you know, so um, Spurs again, great. It was um, within a minute... Um, Jorginho, who came on for Declan Rice at halftime, which will be a concern for Arsenal, I think was a concern afterwards, um, got absolutely mugged this time by Madison, who, to be fair, I, I thought this was absolutely fantastic by, um, by Madison, because for memory, it was a 2v1, Madison had, um, had Son to his right, and he, he could have just gone for goal, or on his albeit weaker left side, but he could have fancied himself. He'd have been entitled um, to fancy himself, just 
and going straight for goal around my left. Instead, he slipped in. Son, Son is not going to miss that and finished it well. And it, and it, and it seemed set up for a really, really grandstand finish by them. But I think um, the game kind of ended with both teams with their B team attacks out, didn't it? Like it was kind of um, Arsenal made a few subs. They they left Saka on until almost the very end, as Arteta always does, flogs him to death. He, he looked absolutely knackered. Probably might have kept Jesus on a bit longer. Spurs shuffled the pack. I think by the end, it felt like a draw was right. Um, and I think Arsenal, Arsenal will be concerned, I, I think, about the number of injuries they're racking up. And also the fact that they, they do keep shipping silly goals at home. Kate, do you think the big takeaway from a Spurs point of view is the bravery to carry on playing out from the back when it isn't necessarily working because it wasn't Arsenal's press was so good at the start that you could be forgiven even if you've been told by the manager keep doing this to just sort of get it launched a bit more yeah 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 I completely agree and I think that's one of those symptoms of the kind of situation we're in at the moment with Ange Postacoglu and the the way that people are bought in and it's not just about the plan that he's put in place but it's also about the way he's executing it and his man management and the way he supports the players um, and I've seen I was reading something about Christian Romero not getting any yellow cards anymore although he did get yellow cards uh, yesterday and also at Sheffield United but it's the theory is that you know when you've got a manager who's really um, supporting the style of play that you have you're not playing in a box you're you're free to be the the footballer you want to be and therefore you're not kind of fighting yourself and that's another one of the reasons that he he is doing so well it's ironic to bring him up obviously in this context given that he uh scored the own goal and also gave away the penalty but even still you know this this idea of this kind of radical support of the players I think is is creating this I don't know now I sound like I'm going into psychobabble but this kind of psychological safety net is is what is being generated at Tottenham and makes it look completely different when you're seeing the kind of team that it is to what it has been in previous seasons no one mentioned that Nketiah should have been sent off um, but perhaps we don't care about that either. I feel like Tottenham could have won this hundreds of times. Um, but equally, uh, pre- before the game, yeah, you would have said a point was um, was more than ample. Um, Barry, or what was your view on it? I thought Encadia should definitely have been sent off. That was at 67 minutes, I think. But then he was a bit of a passenger in the Arsenal side anyway, so I'm not sure they'd have missed him that much. I thought Odegaard wasn't great. His passing was... His, his crosshairs were misaligned. I think he could have done with a little tweak of the screwdriver. He's, he wasn't. He didn't play as well as usual. Uh, the Georgino mistake, obviously, obviously it's his fault. But Arsenal hadn't really regrouped after um, scoring that penalty that was what was so fun sorry Barry because I was still ranting on constantly about how it wasn't a penalty and then we'd actually already scored a goal so that made it like double fun watching that especially because on the on Sky they hadn't stuck there was like a they only just caught the bloody Jorginho mistake because they were still watching Arteta celebrate I gotta say that is a special like TV watching football moment for me the man the opposition manager still celebrating and then you get to see the, the goal please do go on sorry for interrupting yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have much more to add. I, I'd like to doff my hat to um, BBC commentator Steve Wilson, who who said, uh, Aussie Ange will relish both these games against the neighbours, home and away. Yeah, ah! that is nice. I mean, look, Declan Rice, Nick, going off. I actually I was watching Rice. I was desperately trying not to watch this 
as just a, a biased fan. And he was sort of quietly brilliant, I thought, in that first half. And he has been really good. And that is that is such a, you know, it's not a matter. I mean, Jorginho is an experienced footballer, but like the energy that Rice gives you and the control and just the positioning, he just always seems to be in the right spot and lets everyone else do all the hard stuff. So that is a massive loss if he's out. It's it's the positioning, as you say, and the, the interceptions, the anticipation and, and, and more of a sort of defensive stuff. I, I think he, he he does lack something on, on the ball sometimes with his progressive passing. The, the, the radar isn't always as quick or, or good as it might be for the, for the very elite level. But every other part of his game has been so important to Arsenal and adds that stability. I mean, they... they Never really looked like losing games, um, even games like like yesterday. To be honest, um, and Arteta sounded sounded quite concerned afterwards that you know he, he thought it was quite unusual that he pulled up like that, and hopefully wouldn't be out for long. I I think Arsenal. I, I mean, it's it, it sounds depressing to say that the game with City in a couple of weeks' time is for that for Arsenal specifically a title decider. It may well be because they're already, four points yeah. off, um, off already. They've got City at the end. So I'm, I mean, City for that game, I think won't have Rodri, which and and various other injured parties. So, so that could be quite interesting, especially if if Rice is back. That that midfield battle is going to be interesting. I'm sure we'll preview it in a couple of weeks' time. But um, it's um, yeah, slightly slightly unfortunate that that game has got so much on it already. So I don't, I don't think Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal have hit the heights yet. Of their blistering early start last season, but nor do I think they've been bad. They've not lost the game. There's clearly a bit more to come. They've been recalibrating, but um, yeah, it, it could end up quite quickly being a where do we finish between place two and place five fight. They didn't look at the weekend anyways as free flowing as as they have done at points last season, and I think it's a really good point about Declan Rice because there were just a lot more holes as soon as he was out of the picture. There were just a lot more holes in the midfield for, for Tottenham to run into. So I, I actually read the Mikel Arteta thing a little bit differently. I thought he was slightly saying, like, I don't really understand why Declan Rice requested to come off. But I think, yeah, the way you've explained it makes a lot more sense, actually, um, if we assume that he's back in. Um, um, Baz, I mean, that's the interesting thing about Arsenal, isn't it? They have recruited really well, and yet they are not worse, they're just further off City at this stage and I guess that's more I mean as much about City as about Arsenal I think so yeah um, I mean City have been pretty imperious I think Arsenal will consider this two points dropped rather than one game they were favourites going in I think most people expected them to win and they didn't play as well as they could have um, I did enjoy I must say the when David Ray made that wonderful save from Brennan Johnson, which everyone has harked back to the most overrated save in history, uh, which is David Siemens against Paul Pescasolido in the League Cup semi FA Cup semi-final. Yes. All those years ago. Save. Yeah. I've 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 gotten trouble with David David Seaman for, for stating that. I thought that was criminally it wasn't a good save, it was a terrible header. And in much the same way, I think Brennan Johnson had to take a step back take his shot which meant he couldn't get as much power into it and he kicked um, it against his own ankle I think he kicked yeah, it against yeah. his other yeah, foot did, yeah. Yeah. But, but it was quite interesting because you knew as soon as Raya made the save the camera would cut to Aaron Ramsdale on the bench oh I hated that Aaron Ramsdale probably knew that as well so a cynic might say his over the head applause was 
somewhat performative, but I'm not a cynical man, Max, so I'm just going to say it was he was genuinely pleased for his colleague. Yes, I um I have written performative in the <laughs> script as well. But I like Aaron Ramsdale's a nice guy, so maybe he just, you know, he just wants the team to do well. Anyway, um uh, that'll do uh, I mean it's we mentioned Madison. Maybe we didn't mention him enough. He was sort of pivotal in this game, wasn't he? I did Barney Ronnie writing. He but Madison has action hero franchise energy is a is a nice line from Barney. And Basuma was very good in that midfield as well. But anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Stamford Bridge. Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fjellreven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Ein Podcast macht kurz Pause. Hate Speech dagegen hört nicht so einfach auf. Wer hat dir überhaupt erlaubt zu reden, Schlampe? Verzieh dich in die Küche, bevor ich herausfinde, wo du wohnst und dir... Dir persönlich Danke sage. Hör nicht auf die Hater. Du machst einen richtig guten Job. Und wir stehen alle hinter dir. Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're on tour in November. Uh, tickets still available in London and Manchester and the live stream. So uh, Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire, join me and Barry at Troxy in East London on the 13th of November. Uh, John Bruin, Nader Manuha and the Will Unwin Anecdote on the 15th uh, at the Royal Northern College of Music. And on the 22nd, the show in Brighton is a sellout. Uh, but me, Baz, uh, Nikki Bandini and Johnny Lou are there. And that is being streamed around the world. So uh, go to theguardian.com slash FW Tour 23 and watch it wherever you are on earth. Uh, Rob says, how long until a project just becomes a rich man's Panini sticker album? Uh, Sean says, should Chelsea have strengthened their team during the summer? Yes, yeah, still here for those gags. Uh, as we've established, uh, Barry, if you beat Villa, you're good. And if they beat you, you're bad. That's how the season goes. And Aston Villa beat Chelsea. They did. Uh, I would say this was probably one of Chelsea's better performances this season, even though they lost. But it's a low bar. Um, it's, I believe, their worst start to a top-flight season since 1968, although I did check back to 1968. and I, I, I think that might, someone might have got that one wrong because their start to that season appeared to be quite good. Unless, um, anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think Chelsea played particularly terribly but they've I think Wilson called it last weekend or last week when he said that there's too many young players not enough experienced players in that side and I think that's what cost them um Malagusto got a yellow for his original foul on Luca Dean that was upgraded to a red I don't think he can have too many complaints about that and Villa's goal was a, a classic Villa counter-attack goal. I think McGinn played the ball onto Moussa Diaby uh, after Chelsea gone close and he galloped upfield, played in Watkins and he, he got two attempts at a shot after Colwell blocked his first one and, and squeezed it in. And that was enough for 
uh, Villa to win. I think Robert Sanchez could have done better for the goal. He left a big gap for, for Watkins to fire between him and the, the near post. And maybe he was expecting a cross. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think Chelsea can have any complaints. And I wouldn't be massively disheartened by the performance because I they did create quite a few chances. They just didn't mm. score them. I mean, that's true, Kate. But you're sort of in a position where it's quite easy to get disheartened, isn't it, if you're a Chelsea fan? Because, yes, this was a game of fine margins, right? Both keepers made lots of good saves. Sterling had a couple of great chances. But they've lost again. And they've only beaten Luton this season so far. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, I feel like Villa are better than people think. But equally, they've been playing a very high line. And you would think that Chelsea, with they've got a lot of attacking talent. You would think they would be able to break them down. I felt a little bit like Raheem Stark. You know, he kept getting chances... Were they good chances? I don't know. I felt a little bit like that period for England where he couldn't score, but he was probably one of the one of the better players at the weekends. I find Chelsea extremely difficult to talk about because for obvious like fan related reasons, but also they're just the the their lack of coherence is so odd given this boring stuff about how many people they've they've bought in and then how also their bench is is still not deep. I mean, they've got so many injuries, don't they? So, I mean, they are missing, a bit like Sheffield United, they're missing so many players. Yeah, for sure. I had the list of all the people that they're absent up, which I have now helpfully lost because I have too many tabs open. But it, it is slightly ludicrous. I mean, to be honest, when you have that many injuries as well, that that is that asks questions too, right? Because it's, you know, what the part of the challenge of running a really good team is keeping your players fit and and perhaps if you're the manager, you know, managing that whole situation. So there's a question around around that really. Because I remember um, when Wolves were playing exactly the same under Nuno actually, were playing exactly the same squad every every bloody week and weren't actually getting injuries and, and were managing that whole thing and were playing in Europe. So I in some ways I don't even I know this might be controversial, I don't know, Max, but I don't even really think that's an excuse. Nick, at what point do... Um, people are already starting to talk about Pochettino, right? And I, a bit like Barry, think he's an excellent football manager, but that doesn't mean he'll be excellent at Chelsea. And and it is clearly an incredibly difficult job. I mean, who is excellent at Chelsea at the moment? Like, Graham Potter clearly wasn't the problem. Not even Frank Lampard was the problem. Pochettino isn't the problem. The club is 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 the problem. The approach is is the problem. And it's you know there is nothing fundamentally abhorrent about like coming in and trying to rip up the rule book. You're entitled to come in and give it a try, but shame, it's not working. The approach is not working. My 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 interest really is how long Chelsea can go on like this if. Like the owners are so wealthy, so 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 wealthy. They've got so many billions available to them. Does it matter if they don't get into Europe for three, four, or five years? Because on on the sixth year, everything might click, and and then you're getting an absolutely gargantuan payback. Does that matter, or or will there be that moment where the fans just absolutely turn and necessitate a change of approach and? In the midst of that, you feel a bit sorry for a few of the players. I mean, yeah, okay, mega, mega bucks, mega salaries, whatever. Like, you've got a bunch of young players, like, 
brought in for part of this project and they they are absolutely in the firing line here every every single defeat is getting brick bats the fans won't take a lot more and they it, it feels like everybody pochettino included has been sort of thrown into this sort of bizarre petri dish situation by the owners and just been told get on with it and it's not working but i don't think we can blame pochettino for this they they wanted no. and an elite manager, they've got one. Um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but at Chelsea, the, the club and the approach is the problem. And and who knows? Like I say, six years on, it might pay off wonderfully, but they're not going to be given that long by the fan base, surely. You think six years on, Poch is going to be in there? Oh, yeah, like having a lovely time. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have... I'm sure you guys have enjoyed... Is it Guillaume Balaguet's Poch uh, biog? I think it is, where he talks about how when he's having a stressful time, he eats too much and drinks too much. That's the first thing I say. Right. right. So God, well, hopefully six years yeah. of stress will be terrible for him. Yeah. I mean, either he, <laughs> yeah. Either he needs some success sooner than six years, or he can't stay there for that long. He's going to have to amortise his stress. And actually, Nathan says, um, you know, has anyone seen Chelsea's upcoming fixtures? They got Fulham and Burnley, but then they got Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, Man City, Newcastle, Brighton, Man U. I mean, as as will as Nathan says, will they reach ten points by Christmas? I'm sure they will, but. Who knows? Anyway, uh, on to Brentford-Everton. Um, should Everton fans be excited, Barry? Not only did they win, they played well. Um, they did, yeah. Uh, I didn't see this result coming, I must confess. Um, and it's knocked me out of my my um, burr last man standing competition that I was doing very well in. Brentford were poor, uncharacteristically poor at home. Uh, they don't lose at home very often, but they got well tonked here. And I think there are certainly reasons to be cheerful for Everton beyond the fact that they actually won a game and scored three goals. Uh, Beto looked good. Um, He was winning headers. He was getting flick-ons. Dominic Calvert-Loon came back, scored a goal and didn't get himself injured, uh, which is is always good. Uh, And... Yeah, I, I think it was just, it was a bad day at the office for Brentford, a very good day at the office for Everton. Hmm. I mean, they're missing Rico Henry, uh, who is a huge loss for them. Ben Mee's out as well. Obviously, Ivan Tony. Rumours that they're willing to let him go for about 60 million. A lot of people want him in, in January. Um, from Everton's point of view, I mean, Nick, I loved when on match today it panned back and you could just see Sean Dyche pointing at Beto and that was his tactics. Just get the ball to this man. But like for a team who've been so off it and and like that's the beauty of it, right? Sometimes you come up against a team who are terrible and, and Brentford rather were garbage, but you've still got to score the goals and that is something that Everton haven't been able to do for a long time. Reminded me a bit of... um game I attended actually when was it May right towards the end of the season when they went to Brighton and absolutely slammed them um, was it 5-1 I should know yes Dwight McNeil and, turned into yeah sort of- Dwight McNeil was was every incarnation of every brilliant winger you've ever seen um, Decore again fantastic as, as he was on Saturday um, and I think Sean Dyche has that in his um, in his locker, the sort of away game master plan, doesn't he? He he enjoys um, that kind of thing. Um, Everton do have a lot of good physicality and speed, and Naus, I think, in their midfield, which can get them up a pitch. And yeah, yeah, fair play. Um, and I think Brentford. I mean, do we fear for Brentford? Are we 
terrified of Brentford's prospects. I, I think not given the three teams in the bottom three will probably stay there, but um, they they haven't they've only won once I think this season. I think it was against ten man Fulham. Uh, they are clearly, I think they clearly are missing Tony, much as players like Western and Burmo give them that bit of movement that maybe you, you don't otherwise get. Um, but they're, they're in, in a bad moment, as people say. Yeah, Kate, when, when Nick said, do you fear for, for Brentford, you, you, you sort of gave quite a dismissive face, I would suggest. So do you not fear for Brentford? Did I? Where's your fear on the fear range? Where's with Brentford? Where is it? I mm. I like to think what I, in my mind it was more like a curious but a little bit disappointed kind of a face because I, I suppose Brentford are this model of a club that I find quite exciting and they're all trying to make things work on using clever systems of analysing players and figuring out who how their team can fit together in this kind of they don't like you to call it this but this sort of money ball way of doing things and so I, I don't want to be fearing for them and I what I hope is that it's a, an example of a game being not too uh, you know not too representative of the whole um, it it does strike me as odd that they that Everton were able to like I think we talked about it, didn't we, on on Saturday, Max, and and we just said, oh, you know, can you see Ed- Everton getting anything here? And the answer was just like flat no. And I don't know if this is one of those answers you can put down to football just doing unusual things sometimes. I mean, obviously the um, the rest of the season will play out and when we'll figure it out. I I mean, I actually think Ben Mee is a pretty big miss for them and especially at the last minute. He's he's one of those like leadership plus good defence guys who who is very, very important both to the, the way the team plays but also to the just like the kind of management of situations. So perhaps you can put some of it down. But also if Everton have figured out that they can score goals now, that's that's quite exciting for Everton fans. That's, yeah, definitely. that's nice to see. Uh, Asim says, will the title go all the way to May or will Liverpool have it wrapped up early? Uh, they yeah. beat uh, West Ham 3-1. Uh, I enjoyed this one as well, Barry. Uh, again, sort of West Ham, impressive, but getting nothing. Yeah, so they, they were impressive and won against Brighton. They were impressive and lost against Manchester City and they were quite impressive here, but it was it was a routine win for Liverpool, I would say, and a routine win that would not have been as routine as they would have liked if West Ham had scored one or both of the glorious early chances they missed. Um, Allison had a brilliant save from a Thomas Suchek header, and then Mikel Antonio made an absolute dog's breakfast of a what should have been a, a goal, a headed goal from a, a Suchek cross. That was a terrible miss, and. Liverpool went ahead. Brilliant diving header from Jared Bowen. I think we were talking about diving headers being a, a lost art uh, recently, yes. but but the and way it, and he, it was James Ward Prowse from... who, who got the other one. So so they yeah. are a lost art apart from West Ham of bringing single handedly bringing back the diving header. Yeah, just the way he got got in front of Virgil Van Dijk. I think it was down by his knees and and skimmed the header into the corner. It was absolutely a beautiful equaliser. But, um, yeah, Liverpool won handy enough in the end and and deservedly so. Um, Nick, I mean, we saw a couple of nice uh, volleys at the weekend. Um, uh, Bruno Fernandes will chat in a second. The lovely dink from Johnny Evans. And this one, that ball from McAllister to Nunes and that finish. So Nunes' random with finishing, as we know, was so perfect. 
Yeah, he just absolutely blazed one from a good position, didn't he? Or, or at least reasonably recently before. And um, but this time, yeah, great ball from from McAllister. He just like helps it in, doesn't he? And I'm I'm really pleased to see him doing quite well so far this season, Nunes. I think that's three in the league, isn't it? Because he got a couple at Newcastle. I think he scored in the in the Europa League the other night as well. And he's, you know, you don't quite know what you're getting. Although Klopp said afterwards that he now does know what he's getting a lot more defensively from him and that that is what he likes about his improvement, what he's doing off the ball and how he's contributing to the press and, and that kind of thing, which which clearly is stuff that has taken him a while to plug into, understandably. Um, but he's, he's, he's all action, but he's one of those players who even if he misses two or three, he comes back from the fourth, you know, and, and that guarantees that he will get you a few goals. And I, I think we are seeing a slightly more more polished player than we saw last season with with a bit of that explosiveness. And um, so, yeah, tracking finish, he's capable of it. I, I hope he does a few more of those. Um, and just to reiterate what Barry said about Bowen's diving header, that was the goal of the weekend. Like, I, I don't... I've, 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 I've played a reasonable amount, amount of football, but I don't know how I could get my body to do that at below sea level, diving full length at someone's ankles. My goodness, it, it was absolutely sensational. It was parallel to the ground, wasn't it? It would put you... You wouldn't want your... You wouldn't on your beautiful faces, would you, guys, to be anywhere near that that boot? But we all enjoyed it so much. And then everyone gets to call him brave and, and wax lyrical on for ages, despite the fact that it was 3-1 and West Ham missed loads of uh, clear-cut chances. Yeah, uh, he actually missed quite a, a much easier chance, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, much think it was easier one, chance. 1-1 one, one at the, at the, the corner, time. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, look, look, Kate, we're desperate for a title race. We're desperate for someone to challenge Manchester City. Are Liverpool our best bet? I think it's interesting how they have somehow seem to be flying under the radar. I guess, I guess that's helpful to them, and I don't really understand how that would have happened because, yeah, this this looks like a the organised team of old. It looks like Klopp has got his uh, got his vavavoom back. What the hell do we call it when it's Klopp? His his uh, Vorsprung durch technique, I guess. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Thank you, perfect. Okay. Let's go for some more national stereotypes. I, I'm glad I led us into this rabbit hole. The problem with Jan Klopp, of course, as we know from his post-match and from various other things, is he's absolutely full of joy uh, on one hand, but he's actually totally terrifying and quite mean a lot of the rest of the time. And he manages to carry this off like he's the most full of bonhomie guy in the whole of football. Um, so, yeah, for all of us, it's probably better if Liverpool are doing well. Yeah, they look like a confident side that have won a Premier League before. And Sobersly as well, it looks like a, a, a great player. McAllister's assist was good. Salah putting penalties away because he's pleased not to be in Riyadh, presumably. They all looked like they knew their knew their jobs, and if Nunez can defend as well as um, as well as score goals like that, they've got everything. All uh, right, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll get through the rest of the Premier League games. Fiel Raven, Fiel Raven, Fiel Raven, Fiel Raven. Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fiel Raven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellräven.de. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. On Tuesday, the launch of the Football Weekly book at eight o'clock 
online if you want to watch Robin Cowan chat with me, Baz and Wilson. Go to theguardian.com slash footballweeklybook and you can also buy the book uh, and then read the book, which is essentially what you do with books. Jim says, up against the start of the new season of Bake Off, brave, brave scheduling. Well, you can watch this on Catch Up. I believe you can also watch Bake Off on Catch Up, but whatever uh, whatever you prefer. Um, Brian 3, Bournemouth 1. Nick Bryan made nine changes after that defeat to AEK, which was a bit of a letdown, wasn't it? After they'd done this amazing social media video going, and that sort of made me well up the story from the Goldstone ground and almost going out of the Football League, etc. to this moment. And this was all about Karo Matoma, really. Yeah, a bit, bit of a first half hangover from Brighton. Um, I, I mean, the way they play, we, I mean, we, we say risk versus reward like time and again, and so do managers. And, you know, occasionally you will get one um, like the keeper produced that, um, yeah, misplayed. His, I think the ball was nicked away from him. And Solanke, who, who I think, Maybe Solanke is now one of those players who is not underrated because everyone calls him underrated. But I think he could do a job at a bigger football club. I think he's a really good striker. Um, finished well off in range. Um, and, and Bournemouth looked like seeing that out, didn't they, until half-time. And then, you know, uh, I forget who it was who scored the own goal, actually, but it skimmed off his head, goes in. And after that, you're right, it's the Mitoma show. Um, was it 17 seconds after half-time? Um they kept saying 15. It felt longer than that, didn't it? But it was those, it was those two subs, wasn't it? It was well, Ansu Fati and um, Matoma. And they, and they came at half time and bam. Actually, I think Dawood had the assist, but it was their combination anyway, wasn't it, yeah. for that goal? And actually, that goal came earlier than the equaliser before half time. That was an injury time. It was like time travel that their, their, the goal to Whoa, go ahead came before what? the equaliser. Yeah. But. As you say, Nick, they then they they carried on and won it. I'd say reasonably comfortably. Look, Barry, do you? We know Brighton are good. It was a comfortable win for them. How worried are you about Bournemouth? Yet still, still no win this season. Yeah, I'd be pretty concerned because they don't seem to be playing particularly well. I blame Sid Lowe for all of this. Everyone, I think everyone, you know, in commentators, pundits, uh, us, everybody read the Sid Lowe article that was, you know, this is what you're getting with Anthony Rolla when he comes to, to Bournemouth. And he has thus far failed to deliver on what Sid promised. So I don't know if it's Sid's fault or Anthony Rolla's fault, but, well, you know, one of them has come up short. Or maybe Sid just enthused to uh, bombastically about... What a, what a great manager this man is. But um, It's your fault for being a modern football fan who wants everything now and the moon on a stick. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. I, he could really do with a win, couldn't he, just to, to get a win on the board? He, he could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But there, there isn't much of a sign of one coming. So I think their next league game is, is it against Arsenal. I think Stoke in the League Cup, then maybe Arsenal... Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a toughie. And then away to Everton. Looks like a different prospect. Yeah, we can't read too much into one Everton win, can we? Maybe we, maybe we no, can. No, I, I, I want to read everything into it. That's what I like to do. You're welcome to do that. Uh, let, let's uh, uh, move on from that game, go to Turf Moor. Uh, James says, Johnny Evans or Prime Maldini? Kate, it was a wonderful <laughs> pass. It was a wonderful <laughs> pass from Johnny Evans. And actually, you know, there was a lot of, there has been a lot of mocking of Ten Hag having to, resort even using the verb resort i guess is is uh 
you know, is saying is is sort of it's pejorative, isn't it, to get Johnny Evans in? But my God, they needed this win so badly. It was a pretty tough watch, I thought, but they desperately needed it. Poor Johnny Evans, homegrown Manchester United product. This is uh, this is glorious to see them manage to bring through some some thirty five year old talent at, at, at Manchester United. That's lovely. Um, yes, it ends the three game losing streak. I think their issue is that they've got lots of injured left backs. Sergio Regalon went off, but Rafaran came on at 78. I don't know how, yeah, 78 minutes. Um, and that is the point about Johnny Evans, I think. I mean, there's also the issue that they're playing in this weird away kit that looks kind of like a Liverpool one. I don't know if they're trying to like cosplay a bit of Liverpool into their performance. That doesn't seem to be working. I forgot what your question was, but they weren't very good. It's a bit embarrassing, I'm afraid, uh, even if this is disrespectful, to be that excited about beating Burnley 1-0. Um, uh, Richards, while watching Burnley pass it around like peak Barcelona first half on Saturday night for United, is it wrong of me to want us to just lob it into the box for the big man who we no longer have for, <laughs> for old time's sake? Um, I, I, I still, Nick, look at how well they played in the opening half hour against Man City and I sort of made a judgment that Burnley would be absolutely fine. And yeah, and actually I thought they played quite well in this game. I think they were the better team. But much like Barry's excellent insight on Bournemouth, they could really do with a win. <laughs> Yeah, the the attacking principles are there. They play some great stuff. I think they've it's it's quite a young team, isn't it? I'm I'm looking at and 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 a fairly inexperienced team at this level. You've got players like um Osho who looks fantastic on, on the wing. I think I think he's a teenager, isn't he? Um and Dooney, you know, Ramsey, players like this that they've got that rawness and, and brightness about them, but there's a bit of a lack of experience maybe to to see things out. So uh, you know, it's, it's bold what a company is doing, going going with youth and vibrancy and, and a really forward-thinking approach. Um, whether they've got enough goals in them, that would be my my concern because I think they are creating chances. Every time I, I see them, they're looking bright and, and creating, but do they have um, do they have a killer in there? Do, do they have Chris Wood or Ashley Barnes? Do they? <laughs> I don't Sorry know. to jump in to save my my. Um, back or something I'm not I wasn't dissing at the cu- current iteration of Burnley but I mean in the context of being a newly promoted side who are trying new things and have all these young players and haven't found a way to score goals yet they are obviously entertaining to watch uh, yeah uh, Marcus Rashford was involved in a car crash uh, come away unhurt after his uh, £700,000 Rolls Royce uh, ended up on a, a traffic island Paul says, is it time to dispense with the ancient wisdom that says that titles aren't won before the end of September? Six wins from six for Manchester City, Barry. Rodri tried to make it interesting, being sort of alpha, testosterone-filled man, didn't he? I don't know. It seems seemed quite odd to be that angry that early in the half. It would take me a few minutes to sort of work myself up into a rage. Yeah, he was very angry very early in the half over... I'm still not quite sure what it was that riled him up, but... He shoved Morgan Gibbs-White, had his hands around his neck, and Gibbs-White went down like a bit of a drama queen, but I suppose it's a red card, and everyone's going... Did you not go down in that instance, Barry? Mm -hmm. Would you be on your feet, like, fronting up, squaring up, and being like... Because I feel like you've got to go down. You've got to make make it clear what's happening. I'm not an aggressive man at all. Uh, I would not be in a position where someone would have their hands around my neck in an aggressive way 
because that's not really I, I couldn't be bothered um getting that annoyed about anything um but the, i'd love to see you in the rutting stag edison a one e move i'd love to see that that happen at some point to see you there pushing your forehead against another angry I, man I, I don't think that's ever happened um but everyone's worried now that Rodri will be missing for the Arsenal game. But, you know, the City have Kovacic, they have Calvin Phillips, they'll be fine. You know, I'm not sure anyone's even noticed Kevin De Bruyne's been missing for quite a few games, but they're doing perfectly well without him. They scored two good goals. They were 10 men for half a game and Forrest still didn't really do much. Yeah. That's the thing, Nick, isn't it? You sort of, when you're looking for City to drop points and you think, okay, 10 men, let's see what Forrest can do. And Forrest are like an enterprising, good football team. And Edison had one save maybe from Alanga and that was about it. Yeah, nice, nice volley from Alanga. And I think Forrest had little pockets of pressure, but they they were held at arm's length. I, I think City could have extended their lead. I think Harlan, Harlan missed, a, it was a sort of awkward volley, wasn't it? Quite in, in front of goal. And I, I think that's just where where City are they don't they don't give you a chance they can lock things down um even with 10 men and yeah they are as discussed at streets ahead of the rest of the moment and nice nice to see um I think that was Phil Foden's first goal of the season wasn't it he, I think a, a really nice drill finish as well and I I would hope and um, ob- objectively for a big season from him this year yeah yeah and actually his his little pass was excellent as well uh, in the build-up to the second um Luton got their first points of the season they drew with Wolves they were much the better side in this game Nick and so they deserved something they probably deserved to win and yet and this is where we talk about handball on a penalty decision that is just seems ludicrous. Yeah, because it it def- it deflects off his was it off his thigh first and, and then on onto his hand and I I just think yeah like and and, and again it's it's what and Prostokoli said last night like I don't know what handball is anymore you know we're we expecting to develop armless robots and I think if it, if the ball is not aiming towards your arm in the first place and then deflects. Off it, off another part of your body onto it at close quarters. I, I, I don't know where you're meant to go. I don't know what you're supposed to do. And actually, and actually, the shot is so bad. He's going to block a shot on target, and the shot is so wildly off target that it, it deflects that way anyway. It's like his hands wouldn't have been in the wrong position if the shot had been better. So, like, he's being penalised for Wolves being. The Wolves player being not very good. I mean, that, the whole thing is deeply frustrating. It's football for people who don't like football, the whole handball thing. It really is. I would love if on his next uh, refereeing programme with Michael Owen, Howard Webb, just explained the handball law to all of us and the sight of him just gradually tying himself in knots as one example after another is put forward to contradict what he's telling us uh would be quite amusing um because i i don't think he would be able to explain it to us properly because i don't think anyone really understands it and that's as we've said before a result of the powers that be changing the laws to suit var which is not something that should be done um palace nil fulham nil uh, look we don't have a lot of time sam johnson played very well and I think that's all we're going to do on that game. Please don't yell at us, Nick. Uh, we haven't done Ipswich Corner for a while. I'd love to hear it because they're doing phenomenally well in the championship. Yeah, I, I thought we'd do a dedicated part four for Ipswich Corner, actually, because th- there's a lot to say. No kidding. I'll cap it at about 
15 seconds. Uh, yeah, Ipswich Town, second in the championship. Kieran McKenna's uh, boys, seven wins out of eight. Um, Fourthly win over Blackburn Rovers. They're, they're completely nailing all these basketball-style home games and then edging tight away games 1-0, which is a fairly good recipe for promotion. Um, I, I don't think it can last at this kind of rattling pace, 21 points from eight games, um, but it's incredibly entertaining. Um, Kieran McKenna, as, as I have bored you all with for the last couple of years, is going to be at a top club very, very soon. Um, you'll hear a lot more of him. Um, and yeah, it's just... Um, just the case of whether I think, I mean, Ipswich have had such good continuity over, um, over the summer and they haven't lost players and they've added some good ones. And a lot of clubs in the championship, you know what it's like, there's flux and there's a few months of settling down. So I think we'll see their true level when when other clubs have got their houses a bit more in order. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, um, the whole synchronicity between the sort of town and club and um, and, and players and fans is like, like something I've never seen actually. So it really... Uh, makes my heart swell and oh, I will leave it for corner there for another week Max Thanks thank so you for much. the opportunity to speak uh, Neil says I'm really enjoying the World Mountain Bike Championships on Discovery Plus and Kate's hosting is tremendous can you talk about that instead of any sodding VAR chat please many thanks <laughs> um, where where are we currently I confess Kate I'm not following it assiduously where are we currently at that's okay you can start World now it's fine um you can start this coming weekend where we're going right. to be in snowshoe and I, I it's not a place i've been to before but it's in the states i'm reliably informed kind of more towards the east and then the season will conclude in mont saint anne and we've just had um uh two french winners in leger that was the previous round so eight rounds in total um this season and in leger it was absolutely mad because Leger is in France and they love their mountain biking. And the two downhill winners came down, the woman first, Marion Cabaret. And they're... <laughs> are you enjoying this or is this embarrassing? Yes, no, no, I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, Benoit Collange is the, the French guy. He'd not won a, he'd won, not won a round before. He's a very popular guy on the tour. Anyway, he came down, he did an amazing time and everybody swarmed the end of the course which is what basically happens when people are very excited about stuff in downhill mountain biking and ripped out all the sides and set off flares and set things on fire and I had to have a close protection officer to get to where we were presenting oh, from. Oh great. Did, um, do, do they all race? So they don't, It's more like skiing where they race one at a time. They don't all yeah, go off on a big... There's two different kinds that we right. that we do. So downhill is that one. You're coming down a hill very quickly, mountain. Yeah. Um, and that's you go one by one and then there's mass start for the cross country which is the stuff that you see in the olympics that goes right. up as well as down right okay um thanks i didn't know about it and now i do and finally colette uh was watching i think it must be the peter crouch documentary barry um where you're sitting on a uh, uh in a pub is, this, is that that correct she said a rainy a rainy seattle sunday evening is mildly enhanced by the warm glow of baz on the telly there's a picture of you in a suit on a a bar stool um and she clicked on image description uh, which i don't know if the tv provides this and it says an average looking man in a suit with no tie Barry Glendenning sits atop a red velvet bar stool in an english pub for the peter crouch documentary <laughs> Right, I'll take average looking. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. quite complimentary. <laughs> I mean, it may very well be the velvet-covered bar stool you smacked in our uh, football weekly ah, video, Max, because yeah. that—that was the pub I was sitting in. Um, so uh, yeah, it's not often Listen. I go in there wearing a suit. 
No, you're above average to me, Barry. Uh, thank you. Well, average looking is... I'll take that. Um, anyway, that'll do for today. Um, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Max. Uh, thanks, Kate. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. I'm just thinking, like... Yeah. What if that description, like, went a really ugly man <laughs> sits atop? Yeah. Well, I think you'd be upset, wouldn't you? I would be I a don't... little bit. Well, yeah. well, that does beg the question, is average the worst that it gets? Like, like, I, like Probably, like... yeah, probably. Oh. Oh. I mean, I'm no oil painting, I know that. You have your chance. Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. Europod is back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.